Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive of rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Broadcasting live from Florida's capital city, this is the Jeff Cameron Show, brought to you by Orange Theory Fitness on Real Talk 93.3. Now, stop what you're doing and listen closely. It's time for the Jeff Cameron Show in 5, 4, 3, 2, This would be the Jeff Cameron Show right here on 93.3 Real Talk Radio, War Chant TV. Great to be with you as always. Redemption Thursday, spring training Thursday. We are off and running. By the way, not live today. Sorry about that. I'm off to Vegas, man. I, I, I can't be live. I got I got gambling to do. I've got some, some boozing to do on a trip to Las Vegas. So we had to get started early today and get the show in the can to give you new content. <laughs> Just saw in the chat. Uh, <laughs> Rick Flair, well done, well done. Uh, I should say the Heisen Lico Law Firm chat, by the way, guys, is what I should say. Uh, but you guys can talk amongst yourselves, get after it as always. But uh, yeah, we can't really respond to, to to any of that. Hey, by the way, Tom, uh, it's it, I know you're in New York and it's a little chilly. It's been picture perfect in Tallahassee, and I people ask me this all the time because they know that I'm a big music guy. And they know I like to read and, and I'll get people say, what are you reading? What, what, what films are you watching? Documentaries, things like that. What podcasts are you listen to? What music are you listening to? That kind of stuff. I'm reading, reading a book here. I'm going to be like Oprah, Tom. I'm going to start being like Oprah. I'll give you the book club uh, thing and, and let's see if I can help Gary Smith out. I'm reading this book beyond the game, the collective sports writing of Gary Smith, who I think is the best, uh, the best sports writer of all time. I do. I do. I, I believe Gary Smith is the best sports writer. Of all time. We've yeah. never come out of the gates with a book recommendation. This is yeah. fascinating. Well, literally, literally showing the book. This feels very late night Johnny Carson-ish. Yeah, there you go. This is the, this is the book right here. My guest is Gary Smith, joins us now. No, uh, so I wish I could do that. Uh, I don't even know. I haven't checked. I don't know if Gary is alive or not. I think he is. I, th- I think Gary Smith is still alive. He should be somewhere uh, doing great sports writing. He was with Sports Illustrated forever in a day. 
Um, anyhow, I started reading this uh, because of the news that Sports Illustrated was about to be defunct. And I was saddened by that. And I was reminded some people, you know, um, look at, you know, they have their, they have their favorites. Gary was always mine. And then I was like, I wonder if there's a collective, you know, a collection of all of his best articles or something like that. And found out there were several books, including this one, buddy. So I start, I ordered it and I got it and I'm reading it now and it's effing fantastic. So for those of you who ask me all the time what I'm reading or what I'm looking at, the collected sports writing of Gary Smith is what I'm reading, along with Joe Pisnanski, Why We Love Baseball. Okay, here's a great photo of Gary Smith, just uh, for your enjoyment. There he is. Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> Good God, Gary. For those of you that are on the radio, uh, how would you describe that? 70s cheese, 70s porn. Um, I would okay. tell you that he's a little bit. Sorry bit, I asked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but he is an unreal writer who clearly does not care about his appearance. Um, yeah, it, there's a little John Holmes to that. It's uh, it's, it's not good. It's, like, <laughs> it's not good. Uh, you post that picture and you automatically hear bow waka waka bow waka bow waka waka bow waka. And you're just like, what is going on here? But he can write better than most, better than most. So uh, it's worth your time. Anyhow, I, I was thinking about these things. You know, by the way, uh, one of the articles that's in that book, and I bring this up because today, this is pertinent to today, spring training starts. And I was wondering this. I wonder if you remember this. Uh, do you remember when um, uh, Steve Owen and Tim Cruz were killed? when they were with the Cleveland Indians. Do you remember this, Tom? No, I, I don't remember that at all. It I happened in 1993. Thought. I figured you wouldn't remember. It happened in 1993, right around now. Right around now. It was spring training. And uh, they were killed in Florida, uh, Lake Nelly, and uh, I believe is the lake. And um, it was tragic. They were. It was a boating accident. And uh, you do remember uh, Ojeda, right? The pitcher? Uh, Bob Bobby Ojeda, Ojeda. sure. Yeah. Yeah. He was in the accident. He almost died. He almost died. He He's the lone survivor of the boating accident that killed them, Tim Cruz and Steve Olin. And I can, I'll never forget it. Uh, it was just a, like a lazy spring training day. They And, and apparently they'd gone on the lake and um, it was getting dark and they had to come back towards the dock, but they misjudged. They couldn't see the dock oh. and they were going and I mean, boom. I mean, right in, right out. Right into the dock, and Bobby Ojeda was almost quite literally scalped. His his head peeled back. Uh, to, you know, the, the it was it was he had to have multiple oh. surgeries, and uh, yeah, dude, the dock was up here about head level. They didn't see it. They were racing back towards the shore, and they almost all got decapitated. Okay. Yeah, all right. yeah. Well, but but that was so. What I couldn't believe, first of all, that's there's an article about that in here um, that he that that Gary wrote that's unreal uh, about how it affected Cleveland at that time, and uh, you know, uh, it, just everything about it was insane. And the fight to kind of Bobby Ojeda's fight to come back to baseball after that because of, at the urging of one of the widows who said, you have to come back. They would have wanted you to come back. They would have wanted you to make it. And he was suicidal. It's an incredible story. But that was, and a lot of you listening might remember this. It was 
30 years ago that it happened. And this is this is what happens to, to, to me now. I'm forever reminded of sporting events or anniversaries of events. Oh, most of them are Florida State related. You know, when Mike Martin passed away, I went down memory lane then too, as a lot of us did, and went and looked back at certain games that are etched in my memory. And I wanted to kind of freshen my memory of what year was that? What was the lineup? Who pitched that game? That kind of thing. And so nofan.org, I, I don't know who runs that, but they do an amazing job or they did an amazing job. There are so many box scores in there, handwritten, so many. I mean, you can find every roster, every game, every score, the weather, the umpires, uh, you know, every aspect of it. And to do that, to go to delve into that, and this is the time of year where we kind of do that. We're trying to get by. You know, we're trying to get to football again in August and July. And so you do this thing where you survive on baseball and basketball, which is fine. I love it. I'm a huge baseball fan. But, you know, we miss the meat and potatoes that is football. And I just go down these these rabbit holes where I'm looking into the box scores. And I can remember, and I was thinking about what, what brings us together as sports fans. I, you know, you can remember who you were with. You can remember where you were sitting. You can remember what you thought. And in some cases, uh, while reading about that, you know, in this book that I just talked about, I can remember where I was in Tallahassee. So, Tom, you're so young. You know, in 1993, I'm in school. I'm in Tallahassee. I'm driving around in my Nissan Pulsar, by the way, my black Nissan Pulsar. It was a stick shift. Um, it was <laughs> that my girlfriend, Jen Peterson ended up destroying the timing chain because I told her if she heard a certain sound, not to shift gears, but she did shift gears and broke the timing chain. And it cost me a ton of money because that ended up destroying the engine. Anyhow, long story short, I can remember all these things of exactly what was happening and what I was doing and where I was and driving down Pensacola street when you could still drive down Pensacola street and go and do all those things. It's it's a fun thing to do and you can, you can kind of get into the details of what brings us together as sports fans. Nothing makes you feel the way sports does. I, I would argue that music is the closest uh, that, that bonds people that music takes you to a place in time, but sports is, is the one for me, at least it was always growing up and still is today. It's the only one that kind of carries over. Yeah, so sports, I think, takes you to a moment, and, and music can take you to a period of yeah. life. Unless yeah. you're speaking about a live show, that's a different thing that is very much like sports. In fact, it is, is the same. Because oh, the it, moment, yeah. It is, it is a night. You remember it was a Thursday, and you were with so-and-so. But yeah. like, a song could be a summer of your youth. 100% correct. That's a great description. It, in fact, a lot of songs are a summer or a winter or a fall or a spring of your youth, without question. Yeah, I could tell you, like, you know, the songs uh, of freedom for me when I was, it sounds like way more grandiose, yeah. but like when I went to college, you know, and I was on my own, like, I could tell you those songs that really embody that first feeling of, oh my God, I'm on my own. Can you yeah. believe this? 100%. And yeah. The possibilities, all that kind of stuff. But, but sports itself, like I said, you know, um, my favorite memories, the most meaningful memories to me of sports are the 2004 Stanley Cup run games for the Lightning. So you're going through the playoffs. The playoffs are two months. 
It's a long time. A long effing time. <laughs> and in the course of those two series, my dad lost both of his parents. And we, mm. we were back and forth up here to Brooklyn uh, over the course of time. They died 30 days apart. My dad's going through it, man. Like that is, they were older, but it's just, you're never ready. And 30 days apart, my grandmother, who was um, a lot, she survived my grandfather for 30 days, was supposed to come live with us. And she was so excited and it took a turn for the worse. And so it's just this devastating time. But what we were able to do was really, really dive into this playoff yes. run that yes. our favorite team that was such ass for since the start of their, I mean, like really they weren't, you had one playoff run in 96 and went six games. You lost to the number one seed flyers. They were all right the year before, but it's like almost overnight. They go from meaningless to yeah. best. And the we were in a weird to- way, mirror the bucks, by the way, if you've ever noticed that uh, yes. long periods of just terrible, terrible play followed by where the best there is. When they get it right, they get it really, really right. <laughs> yeah. The Marlins are like that too in baseball, yeah. like you know. Yeah. But it was just that's the thing. I, you know, whenever I see those games, I recall the good emotions and the sad emotions. But these are the most powerful moments in my sport life, my sporting life, because it worked. Like sports did that for us. It truly was an escape, and it truly was a catharsis. And and I'm I'm grateful to sports forever for that particular moment. But I mean, that's the most um, vivid example. There's like any other number of examples in my life where I've been in moments where sports has just been this transcendent thing. And thankfully, the Knowles have provided a lot of those for us. Like even even what's going on now, hoops is declining. But the good moments for Florida State basketball under Ham, dude, I've got like 20 in my brain that I'll never, ever forget. They'll stay with me. Until I'm not on the earth anymore. Corey brought up on Tuesday during headlines that the game against Louisville, the specific game against Louisville, which has the Pat Williams dunk and the uh, and the uh, yeah the Trent Forrest dunk. That's right. Um, those two dunks and that game, that atmosphere. We were together for that game. That that was an insane moment in time for Florida State basketball. And he argues it was the best moment in time for Florida State basketball, which I think is interesting because, uh, and I'll give him credit for that, I think he's right. There are more significant victories, Mm -hmm. more significant uh, in terms of elevating your program in the historical way that you think of beating Duke at Duke or the way that you think of coming back and winning a game in the NCAA tournament March Madness to get to the Sweet 16 you know, those kinds of moments that blow you. When we were at Corner Pocket Bar and Grill, even in, in a loss with Derwin Kitchen on yes. the baseline, that whole – but that those were significant moments. But he might be right. That game encapsulates the pinnacle of Florida State basketball under Ham. They were at their apex. Yeah. This team was great, and we knew it. They had an opportunity, we thought, certainly – to maybe win the national championship. And as basketball is now winding down, as we know, let's just be honest. I think we're getting more and more frank on a daily basis about what's happening at the end of Leonard Hamilton's time. And we know the time's up. It's just a matter of when it's never coming back. It's just not, let's be honest about this with ourselves. And I don't know if ham can be honest with himself about this. I, I hope he can, but it's always hardest for those that are in it. 
And uh, I know that it can be a terribly difficult thing. It's you think about your own life, about how you have to be honest with yourself about the things you can no longer do or uh, something that's passed you by, whatever it might be, or the time that you, you let slip away, whatever it might be. It's hard to, to, to come to grips with those things, but you have to in order to move forward. And Florida State basketball is at that place. But, but what it's done is allowed me to sit back and think about that run. And it's Ham 2.0. And you and I have talked about that a lot. The, the Ham 2.0, we used to be over at the old house at the ESPN radio, and we were, we were documenting his demise. Uh, I broke the story of Ham's contract extension. Uh, that he was going to be back back. I got a phone call from a, a major year. booster yeah. and um, the one year, right. They were giving him one more year. I remember I broke that on the air. I had that first. I'm not saying that to brag, but I, I remember it vividly because I had that call right after the, they had agreed to bring him back. And they basically brought him back because of Jonathan Isaac. That is the only real reason I, they brought him back. Yeah. And um President Thrasher's quotes at the time were oh, very, yeah. they were frank in the release. Like usually a release is flowery. That release was, we trust that Leonard can get this right. Yeah. That's basically what he said. Like, yeah, yeah. You got one year, Bow. You got Ooh. one year to show us that you can be something. Well, then they made the tournament, and then from there we we saw not only did Florida State basketball turn it around and make the tournament and go on a run and all those things, they changed the way they played. And I remember you were very critical of that, and that's fair. Uh, we argued about it. I, I, I was in favor of Ham yeah. reinventing himself, and I think you rightfully, if if we're going to argue this, I mean not argue this, if we're going to re, you know, talk about this, relitigate this, you rightfully suspected he couldn't get it done because who changes their stripes right. at that age? But he did. Right. He did. He successfully uh, yeah. did it. My my thought was, look, man, it was ugly before, but it worked. We won. Yeah. 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 Like, so why are you trying to get all skillful here? There are programs that can do it better than us. Right. So it seems like you're trying to wade into these waters that the North Carolinas, the Dukes and all these other schools are well versed in. They can recruit better. But he did it. He did it, man. And, and it yeah. was it was something to see, like even the other Louisville game with Patino in town. Where they started on some kind of crazy 15 16 to nothing. Run, 16, 16 to nothing. nothing. Yeah. And then we mass substitute for no reason at all. You and I were living about that. Yeah. But like those are those are moments. Like, I'll tell you, looking back on it, and I really enjoyed the executive suite that we had, and, and it yes. was it was me a too. great time. But I enjoy the games in the club better. More. Yeah, me too. Because it was more communal. Like, yeah. you, you know, well, we would always hang out with Bill from the corner pocket. <laughs> well, there you go. Our, I was about to say our mutual friend, Bill, corner yeah. pocket, Bill Hayes. Like, you remember, like the high top seats, you know, you had room to move around if you wanted to. If you wanted to slap somebody five, you could run over to him and do so. Yeah. Like, and, and it yeah. was and you were in the arena like the, the executive box is in the arena. But the club has the high. I mean, it's the it's the open ceilings. Like, I just I remember all of those games from that corner section. I should be doing ads for him including the R.J. Barrett three where we lost. Like, it's and just you and I knew in oh. real time when we saw the play that was, by the way, it's a masterful draw up by Coach K. It's, it's it was. Awesome. Well, we had to defend the two. I mean, yeah. that, that was the problem. And he knew it. And they the way they screened it, and he comes around, and then, boom, he's wide open. First of all, what's I should go back and look. I don't know who the inbounder was. But the point would be it's, it's one of the best inbounds throws I've ever seen. It's not that you can identify an open player. Anybody can do that. It's that he hit him in the exact spot mm -hmm. where he could catch in rhythm and rise up and release and not have to think. 
Yeah. There's no readjusting of the basketball. It's not up here above your head. It's not to your left. Your best passers in basketball have always put the ball on the shooting hand so that it is a catch and raise and release. It's not an adjust. It's not a catch, adjust, raise, and release, which yeah. throws off your timing. It's as good a pass in as you'll see. And then as soon as you released it, you and I both knew it was in. You could draw a line if I don't go look it up. You don't want to live that one. Look up Lauk's the snare instead. Yeah. But you could draw a line through the basket, and that's where we were because you could see it through the window as it went in. That that was oh, that's the club section that we're in, and I'll never forget that image. Sadly, um, but those I mean, that was actually the missed free throw, not coming away with the with the board was the killer. That was the killer. You come away with the rebound, and you're fine. Um, but all of those games, all of those, I mean there are more than 10 where the building was like that. And the, I think the reason that Corey's right about the Louisville win, the one with Patrick Williams and Trent Forrest is because if you recall, Jay Billis was converted and it's not that it matters that it's Jay Billis, the person, but what he represents as a national talking head. Correct. Yeah. He's on the 11 o'clock Van Pelt sports center. He's going, you wouldn't believe what this was place was like tonight. This is, I mean, he was converted. He he saw the change. Yeah, he, he talked about how difficult a place it is to play and that it might yep. be one of the three or four most difficult places to play. Yes. You are 100% correct. The problem is because this program has never been um, an elite, sustained, uh, omnipresent force in basketball, um, we will always remember the pockets of time in which it was, right? So – we got that from him not once but twice. Yeah. It's a very long tenure. Um, you know, some would argue that, you know, they, they could have moved on years ago. That's fine. I'll entertain the argument. I've always, com you know, combated that argument or countered that argue argument, I should say, with, uh, look, do you understand who we are? I, I, I People don't like to hear that because they don't mm -hmm. like to diminish or besmirch the program. But let's just be honest, Florida State's never flooded this program with money. They've never cared all that much whether basketball was great or not. They never – it wasn't a priority. It's just never been a priority here. So when something's not a priority, you recognize it. That's true in your own life. So, you know, the fact that it happened twice during his run is really quite remarkable. It happened very briefly for Pat Kennedy. Uh, I was here. You were not for the Pat Kennedy era. That was one of my favorite teams. That the, there was a four-year window, uh, the Bob Suras, the Doug Edwards, the Rodney Dobards, the Charlie Ward, the Brad Johnsons. <laughs> like there, those were fun. Those were incredible teams. That that's the thing that I'm really glad that we got to see, and and it can happen again if we get to another conference. That's that's the huge thing here is that that runoff money. I know you got to pay some debts off, but I mean it's going to give you the affordability. Uh, for a lot of other programs to say, all right, football's taken care of. Now what? Like, I can't wait for that question. Like, we're not there yet, but football's taken care of. We're now what close. do we need to do? Tom, I, I would argue we're pretty close. Uh, you just had a 13-0 and season on yeah. the heels of a 10-win season. You just won the conference again. In any normal year, <clears throat> you would have been in the college football playoff if they weren't trying to give Nick Saban a goodbye present. Um, and, you know, making money decisions as opposed to those based on merit. Um, in any other year, you would have just made the college football playoff. 
it's not about whether you win a national championship. It's about, are you in a position consistently to win a national championship? Yeah. And, and, and I think Florida state is on the cusp of that. In fact, let's take a break and talk about this for a second, because it segues nicely. I don't know if you saw this, Nick Saban's doing exactly what we thought he would do. And frankly, what I think he needs to do, and I'm here for it. I'll tell you what it is in a moment. Jeff Cameron show 93.3 real talk radio war chant TV. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back guaranteed because with ebay motors you're burning rubber not cash with all the parts you need at the prices you want it's easy to make your car the mvp and bring home huge wins keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com eligible items only exclusions apply hello there podcasters oh don't worry i won't prattle on for two minutes like i do with some of the other reads zaxby's doesn't demand it of me <laughs> Zaxby's like, look, just tell everybody that we have the best chicken sandwich in all the land. That's easy. I can do that. I can attest to that. A delicious, thick, juicy, tasty Zaxby's chicken sandwich is where it's at. Of course, the strips are a given. You like the strips. We get the strips on game days. The platters are lifesavers. Mm -hmm. If you're going to a party, a pool party, say, this summer, and what do I bring? Just bring a Beer Giant thing. No. and Zaxby's. Worry about the beer. You bring the Zaxby's, you're going to be the hero. Just uh, make sure you get all the sauces, too. They've got like 97 sauces, and they're all delicious. I don't know if you guys know this. There are 27 Zaxby's in Tallahassee alone. 27. You can't miss them. I think that's true in general in every city in America. They're like so, peach trees in Atlanta. They're everywhere. Look around. Find you a Zaxby's and get after it. By the way, your Tallahassee Zaxby's a proud Golden Chief booster for 18 years. Go Knowles. The Cameron Show is a production of the Warchant.com Multimedia Network. Check out Warchant.com today for the latest news inside Florida State Athletics. That's Warchant.com. Now, back to Jeff on Real Talk 93.3. Mention Nick Saban and um what I think is going to happen here. And I'm enjoying the conversation, the larger conversation about where Florida state's at and what we need to do and how close we are to kind of just assuming some things about the program. You want to get to a place. I'll get to the saving thing in a second. You want to get to a place where you're not thinking about whether or not you're good. You're thinking about, are you the best? You, you want to be at a place where George is at where Georgia fans annually now, now go into every season asking the question, are we the best team in the country? Will we win the national championship? They're not asking about whether they can win the SEC. They're not asking whether or not they're good. They're not asking whether or not they're going to win 10 games. They're asking, are we the best team in college football? In essence, they're asking, are we better than Alabama? Are we better than Ohio State? Are we better than one or two more teams in a given year? This year, it would have been Michigan. You would ask yourself that question. Maybe some years it'll be, who knows, Oregon or something like that. But that that's it. Like, that's all you're asking yourself. 
For, to your point, we're not there yet. Florida State's not at a place where we walk out to cover the team in the spring asking the question, is this team the best team in the country? Instead, right now where we are is we're asking the question, is this team the best team in the ACC? You'd like to get beyond that. You'd like to get to a place where you don't, you just assume as much. Because for the better part of 20 years, you did assume that. You're like, oh, well, the ACC, I'm not worried about the ACC. I, we're going to win the ACC. I mean, who gives a damn about the ACC? There's like one halfway other decent team that's, uh, that we have to worry about because we're on the road this year. Like it, it was some years it was North Carolina. Very late in the, in the run for Florida State's dynasty, it was Clemson a couple of times. There really hasn't been another threat. I mean, Wake Forest had a nice run when we were – dead in the water but when we were good when we were talking about us in the way that i want us to get to you just didn't worry about the conference you worried about are we better than alabama are we better than well and even back then you didn't worry about that are we better than florida are we better than miami are we better than in a given year a team in the uh big 10 that that's kind of that's all you really worried about i think we're really close tom because i i this is weird i've said this already I'm going to repeat myself, though. I think Florida State is very close uh, to being at that spot, and I think they're going to be a lot better than almost everybody else I talk to. I really do. I And I know how that plays. I get that people think in some ways I'm talking down Jordan Travis or certain elements of the team a year ago. And in, in, in some ways, I am, and in others, not the way they mean it. Because this is not a shot at Jordan. It's, it's that Jordan was kind of probably asked not to play a certain way. So we didn't get the Jordan where all of his skills and abilities were on display. We didn't get it. We got a guy that was largely standing in the pocket, who only scrambled if he felt pressure. We didn't get a guy who was hell-bent on running. We just didn't get it. And we didn't get um, his best as a thrower either. He was better the previous year. He was not as good a thrower this year as he was the previous season. So you marry that with all the injuries, and that's a big part of what I'm saying. I think Florida State has a chance to be I maybe even appreciably better on offense this year. I, I know that I'm in the minority there. I just think they will be. Well, it, it starts with the offensive line and how good they are relative to last year. Uh, because Trey Benson, I think, will be appreciated over time as to how good, how valuable, how elusive, um, and how complete of a back he was. He never fumbled the ball. You could say, now he can't jinx him. He's off to the NFL. Never fumbled the ball. He uh, made guys miss at a rate that was alarming two years ago. Only Bijan Robinson was in the same class as Trey Benson. Uh, he had top end speed, like somebody 25 pounds lighter than him. So I think in order for the ground game to have uh, a better impact and to have breakaway plays, because we, we weren't consistent on the ground, but we had breakaway plays thanks to Trey, thanks to his greatness. And he was a great Florida State back you need to be much better on the offensive line in terms of run blocking. And if you are, then Roy Dell can become a guy. Kaziah can become a player. I just, 
it, I think it's it's going to be very hard to replace Trey Benson play for play, skill for skill. You're probably going to have to put two or three guys together to get something that is as productive as Trey. Same thing at receiver. You might have some guys that are projecting to get where Keon Coleman was. Are they there right now? That's that's tough to say. And and Johnny Wilson was also something that is unique that it's going to be hard to replace the catch radius and the big catch ability. Like, who's going to be our guy on third and got to have it? Because Johnny kind of was, even though on first and 10, you were like, well, Johnny, you're going to catch it. Like, third and got to have it. Johnny had a pretty good career here. We, we agree. I, I, I just, I know there's no nice way to say it. Keon Coleman in the second half of the season was an average player. Johnny Wilson missed time due to injury. Uh, he was never a burner. I, I think collectively this is going to be a better wide receiving core. I just believe it can be. Uh, Health always matters, obviously. So if people get hurt, then it won't come to be, uh, it won't come to pass. But I think that if you look at size and speed and the diversity of weapons that this offense has this year, marry it with an offensive line that will be better in the run game. I think it will be. It just is going to be better in the run game. They're bigger. They brought in more meat, seasoned veterans. A lot of experience, a ton of games played. I I don't, I really just don't see a way that this offense isn't going to be better. Because listen, if you're better in the run game, Tom, which is what you're saying this whole thing is predicated on, and I agree with you, then you're going to be better in the pass game. <laughs> so yeah. I just, I, I, I'm really high on this team. The oh, I have a question mark. No, you, the individual skill of a Trey Benson. We 100% agree. Like, what he was is is freakishly good. He's going to get drafted. He's going to be a starter somewhere in the NFL. He's that good. But he was behind a sorry-ass offensive line, yeah. and we were wildly inconsistent. So if we're consistent running the football because the line's better, all the other stuff down the field, yeah. bringing in speed, bringing in a big-armed quarterback. He's got a much better arm than Jordan Travis. he's not as accurate he's but i mean come on man so uh we started rolling them out uh there's a two-part series with dominic robinson we may do a third depending upon the the response uh but dju's path to florida state breaking it down on film you can find that on the channel right now and dominic is breaking down clemson first so we get a clemson breakdown and oregon state breakdown the frustrating breakdown uh, the Clemson, well, the, the his takeaway, he said, this is the most uh, contrast I've had with my hypothesis and then what I saw on film. He's like, Actually, DJ wasn't that bad at Clemson. You could see that there was a huge downgrade in the talent around him. Uh, the situation itself, this was my interjection, but the situation itself was dysfunctional. They fired their offensive coordinator. Like, if you think it's a DJU problem, you keep your offensive coordinator and just elevate Klubnik and say, well, he can run this offense. DJU can't. You fired the coach and the quarterback decided to come uh, to go away because they've got a young player, but they didn't have the weapons like they did for Trevor Lawrence or Deshaun Watson. He cited the fact that for DJU at Clemson, his average time to throw was 2.7 seconds at Oregon state. It was nearly 3.2. So their offensive line play was worse. But if, when you break down the kids abilities and you're talking about the big arm, he routinely will make a far hash throw. So, the long side, it's a longer throw than they make in the NFL. 
it'll be a 20-yard gainer. It'll be on the button, and essentially it's like a 55-yard throw because yeah. of how yeah. wide the hash marks are in college football. Yeah. The cannon for an arm that this guy has and his ability to go through progressions is very, very different than what Jordan had. The problem is the kid misses layups a lot. He misses layups, and that's the big knock on him. There is no perfect quarterback. You can go through all this, and you'll always find faults with certain guys, and then you'll find strengths, and you'll talk about what you'd rather have. It's a preference thing, it, depending on your offensive line, depending on your weapons, depending on a given makeup of your team in a season. There are very few people that have what Patrick Mahomes has, which is the whole kit and caboodle. He can run it. He can throw it. He can read it. He's he's smart. He's all of the things, right? In college, it's hard to find guys like that. Jordan was limited. Jordan became much better than we ever thought he could be. And I commend him in ways I never thought I would be able to do based on what I saw him early on in his career to be. But he still had limitations. And I've talked about this before. I know yep. it gets people, you know, in the fields. They get upset with you. They, they, they get mad because they love Jordan Travis. I love Jordan Travis just fine. But we can talk honestly that he had some limitations. DJU has a much better arm than Jordan Travis. He just did much better. Yeah. Now, we'll see if he becomes as accurate. But I believe Mike Norris Bell's offense is an awful lot of why quarterbacks have a high completion percentage. So... I I think you're going to see that area of his game tick up. Yeah. With, partly because of experience, but also because of Norvell's offense. Well, and, and his knowledge, like he has been, this was another thing that, you know, uh, Dominic had talked about in the fall when we were breaking down Jordan and maybe some of the things that weren't working so hot, you know, uh, for Jordan last season was this was his first foray as a featured quarterback in an offense, not yeah. a featured player in an offense. Well, DJU has been the featured quarterback in every offense he's led since he was 12, maybe younger. Like it's just, it's a completely different thing. This is a refined quarterback who for some reason, uh, you got a wide open dude in the middle of the field. He's running to the left. You hit him in the back shoulder. He's got to adjust. He goes down and it's a gain of eight instead of a touchdown like that. That is DJU's issue. It's not turning over the ball. It's not, it's not not understanding what coverages are doing. Like this is a very refined per, a player, and the Jonathan Smith offense that he just came from is more multiple than anything he ran. In Clemson it runs circles around the complexity of the Clemson offense that he ran. So DJU is coming in here with in, a, an immense amount of knowledge about offense, about concepts, about variety of formations. Yeah. So this is it is an interesting marriage, and it's <laughs> The, the thing the thing that I think would free this offense up to be better than last year, I'm not quite there with you yet, but it's gonna happen, Tom. Is that it it's devoid of stars? I think that matters. Yeah, that you're not matters. you're not force feeding the football. You're right. I, I there's no doubt it's devoid of stars. I do think Hakeem Williams is going to be a star. I will say yes, that it can now. Birth, it can birth some yeah. stars here. It, it you know, it, it can happen, happen over time, but like last year, the one concern I had in the summer before the season started was, man, there's only one football. We're going to keep everybody happy around here. That would be my number one thing. You might get stuck if you're Mike Norvell in between because you want to do this, you want to do that, because you have all of these uh, opportunities. Uh, will you not have an identity at some point? That was my number one concern. Man, this is just 
hand the ball off when you're supposed to, throw it to the open guy. None of these guys have any right to feel like they are stars. There's a stretch of play where, to your point, they didn't know who they were. There's a... There, I, I, I am going to continue to beat this drum, and I, 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 I'm going to try to be careful along the way because I, I am prone to maybe hyperbolizing some of this to, to a degree. I didn't like last year's offense. I didn't like what we were trying to do. I didn't think the quarterback could do it. I was uh, Keon Coleman was not himself for like the better part of six games, <laughs> so. It didn't make sense to do some of the things they were doing. Um, we got screwed last year with injury uh, that really muddled, muddied the waters of what you could do and what you couldn't do and what you were trying to do. And I feel like last year we were caught betwixt and between. Mm-hmm. I just don't think they could ever fully put their foot down on the throttle and be what they want to be. They couldn't be what they should be. And I suspect they have a better opportunity to be a to be what Mike wants them to be this year. And it's part it starts with the offensive line. It starts with the offensive line. But from there, they have more pieces. There was not a single speedy receiver, like really fast receiver that played any valuable snaps for Florida State last season. Mm-hmm. They have it. Keon Coleman's not fast. He's fast enough when he's healthy. He's really good. He's a polished receiver. He's an NFL wide receiver, but he's not known as a burner. Johnny Wilson's not a burner. Really didn't have anybody who was going to be a burner because the, the dudes that had a chance to be, in particular Destin Hill, got hurt. So he just never had it. And then Jaheim Bell got hurt, and he was never the same after that ankle injury. Yep. We only got... I think we basically got two or three games out of Gene Bell where he was healthy. That's it. This, this could be, this could be a surprising aspect of what we see next year for, for the large majority of the fan base. They're going to be like, golly, we're, we're so much better on offense this year. Why? This is why this is why. So uh, two more things on DJU real quick. Good DJU is as good as an elite professional, like the throws he makes. Like, right. It comes and fits and starts, but yes, when you see yeah, it for yeah. a quarter or like sometimes a game, because I remember doing the lead-up to our first game against DJU, and or it might have been the home game in 22. And I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, he, killed, he killed us in that game. He's lighting it up. And then, you know, then you're like, well, this is weird. He's just he, – he's an amoeba. He's very hard to figure out, and that's the, the task. For Mike Norvell, but the thing I would say, if you're going to defend him, if you're going to do like the debate thing and defend him, the legitimate way to do so with Oregon, Oregon State, excuse me, his average target height was 5'11". That's ridiculous. Yeah, what are we doing out here? He had Kermit, Whitfield, and Bobo Wilson. Yeah, not going to get it done, no. He didn't have what he's going to have this year. Catch radius. Maybe if he misses a little bit, the kid's, he'll make the play. Yeah. the kid's got six more inches of wingspan on one side to go make yeah. a play on the ball, you know? See, we got so excited talking about this, and I'm glad we did, because I'm I'm really – this is a big belief of mine. I'll either be proven right or wrong. Doesn't matter. Time will tell. But I really do think we're going to be better on offense, and, and, and maybe appreciably better on offense, by the way. And that just rubs people the wrong way because they think it's a, a, a 
you know, a slight on Jordan Travis and Keon Coleman and Jaheim Bell and Trey Benson. And eh, it's really not. All those guys got banged up and Jordan didn't have certain elements of his game that could overcome that. By the way, we went 13 and 0. So, you know, that's that's Mike Norvell. That is uh, the ACC, partly. And that's also uh, a defense that became uh, much better than we thought they were going to be. I never got to Nick Saban. I'm getting to Nick Saban in the next segment. It's Jeff Cameron Show, 93.3 Real Talk Radio, War Chant TV. The Cameron Show is a production of the WarChant.com Multimedia Network. Check out WarChant.com today for the latest news inside Florida State Athletics. That's WarChant.com. Now, back to Jeff on Real Talk 93.3. Jeff Cameron Show, 93.3 Real Talk Radio, WarChant TV. By the way, at Orange Theory right now, they're doing, um, they've they've added some new things. So you have... um, you can do all cardio, so you can do uh, run uh, 50. So you just, instead of going on the weight floor and the rower, you're just running. And it's you, and they have goals set up for you. It could be a run for distance. It could be a push. It could be a, just a base pace. It could be an all-out. It could be all these things, but you're doing it with some walk intervals in between. It's still interval training. It's awesome. And for those of you who, who think, well, I don't want to work out on the floor because I do my weights uh, at home or, you know, I can lift heavy weights uh, in the gym, but I don't need to do it at Orange Theory. This is for you. Now, there's also a lift 50 where you don't run at all and all you do is lift weights. So Orange Theory is a good time right now. Go sign up. It works. It's interval training. It's science back. Nick Saban gave an interview. Chris Lowe wrote about it. Um, obviously Nick retiring in January, 72 years old, still sharp as can be. Uh, we all know the six national championships in 17 seasons at Alabama. He has the one at LSU as well. So we, we know the resume. Um, he has, uh, begun to speak out. I thought he would, um, about the state of college football and it's in disarray and how there needs to be somebody to bring common sense to college football. We're all for, and he is too, by the way, players getting paid. It's a long time in the making. It should have happened years and years and years ago. And in some ways it did happen, but it had to be under the table and it was breaking the rules if you got caught and all that. He said, in part, I'm not really looking for a job, but I do know I'd like to impact college football in the best way that I can, whether it's being a spokesperson or anything else. Listen, I'm for the players. It's not that I'm not for the players. I've always been for the players. I want to see the players have a great quality of life, be able to create value for themselves. But we've gone to nobody talking about education, nobody talking about creating value for their future, to talking only about how much money they can make. I think the consequence of this could come down the road when some of these guys get to be 28 and 29 years old And they didn't prepare themselves for when they can't play football anymore, which is what you should do while you're in college. And he went on to say he'd like to see sensible dialogue about how to help college football start moving in the direction of solutions before the current model completely explodes. And he doesn't want the situation to get to a point where schools begin to have to start cutting other sports because they don't have the requisite money to fund their football team. And how best to compensate players. Notice he didn't say he doesn't want to compensate players. He said, 
How best do we compensate players? Well, what's he doing here, Tom? He's acting as a czar of college football. He is doing the thing we want him to do. And I know it won't be universal, but this is what college football needs. Yeah, I think this is this is where the power two can solve their own problems. You know, like the power two might be large enough when it's all shaking out. And you could call maybe the Big 12 the third one in. They, they've done a good job of they've setting themselves up. They've done a real good job. Their commissioner is a real man. For the next 20 to 30 years. Like You could see them building into something over time. Mm-hmm. But you could reclassify that, and then those athletes are paid employees. Like you're going to have to get to a union at some point. Look, man, the new college football playoff deal by itself is going to be worth $8 billion. It was 7.8 when it was a 12-team format. Now they're tinkering with a 14. Just make it 16, you idiots. Just go straight to 16 and stop. I I agree, but that's going to be $9 billion, $10 billion, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So the money's too great. Unionize the players at the Power 2 or Power 3 level, reclassify them, and then college sports begins after football outside of that. That, that's that's where it should go. Hopefully, uh, Nick can get it there. Yeah, uh, there. Listen, let's carry this over to the hour number two. By the way, in that hour, we have an interview. Coach McGahey from the baseball team joins us as well. It's Jeff Cameron Show, ninety three three Real Talk Radio, War Chant TV.